Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. Take your seat, and as our kids head back to Kids Church with Miss Kathy, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go to Hosea chapter 6. Uh, as I said, we are not, um, we're not covering every single chapter, every single verse throughout Hosea, but we're hitting on some of the major themes throughout the book. And so this morning we find ourselves in chapter 6 looking at a, a call to repentance. And, uh, you know, in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells us about a spoiled young man. And one day, this young man approaches his father and asks for his inheritance. Essentially, he's telling his father, I wish you were dead because I want my cut. All I really care about from you right now is what you owe to me when you're dead. So, so I would like for you to go ahead and give me my portion of the inheritance. Now the father, who's clearly heartbroken, gives his youngest son his share and then watches as he heads off to the road, off to the big city, most likely expecting to never see him again. Now, I imagine, we're not really told, but, but I imagine the son finds himself in the big city, maybe for the first time in his life. And we're told, and scripture explicitly, he lives it up. I imagine that means big parties and pretty girls. And it doesn't take long for the son to find himself empty-handed because he spent his inheritance, as the Bible tells us, on foolish living. Now the Bible says when he runs out of money, he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who gave him a job feeding pigs. Now keep in mind, for this young Jew, pigs were considered unclean. That's pretty low. But it gets worse. Luke 15, 16, it tells us that he longed to, to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating. So not only is he, as a Jewish boy, uh, working among the pigs, he even gets to the point where he longs to eat the pig slop. That's even lower. Now things are not going well for this young man. Now, so far in the story of Hosea, we've seen the children of Israel squander a wonderful inheritance from their heavenly father. They were freely given a beautiful land and they conquered it with relative ease, just as the Lord promised they would. And the Lord promised that as long as they obeyed and as long as they served him, things would continue to go well for his children. If, however, they turned away, things would not go so well. And like spoiled children, they didn't really believe that there were consequences for their actions. And so they commit spiritual adultery over and over and over again. And then when the consequences actually hit, they start complaining, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't deserve this. And so then Hosea comes on the scene, and what happens is God has him play out this scene, this spiritual adultery, in dramatic fashion. And that is, as we've talked about the last few weeks, Hosea's family is his message. So he's called to marry a woman who will not be faithful to him. On top of that, her name is Gomer. 
And he has children who serve as illustrations of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. His first son is named God Sows, or Jezreel in, in the text. And it points to the fact that God will sow destruction among his people if they don't repent. Then he has a daughter, and his daughter is named Lo Ruhamah, or no mercy, or in some translations, no compassion, not loved. Then his youngest son is named Lo Ami, or not my son. Things are not going well for the people of Israel. Hosea's train wreck of a life illustrates to the people what train wrecks their lives have become. So the people of God are on the verge of being removed as the people of God because of their unfaithfulness. However, that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story for the prodigal son. The story doesn't end with him squandering his wealth on foolish living because Luke 15, 17 tells us, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father. Now, his plan was to go and beg his father that he might simply be hired as a servant. He comes to his senses. He wakes up and looks around and says, man, what am I doing? And in similar fashion, this morning's passage in Hosea chapter 6, the people of Israel are going to come to their senses. So let's stand together and follow along with me as I read Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Stand and honor the word of the Lord together. Hosea 6 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, and he will heal us. He has wounded us, and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning, for this call that's being issued to the people of Israel. Come, let us return. I pray this morning we would not be content just to simply hear these words as as words that were spoken to the children of Israel several thousand years ago, but that we would see them as a call in our own lives to repent, to turn away from sin and to trust in Christ. Maybe for the first time, for some of us in the room. Maybe all over again as children of God who've gone astray and chased after other things. Will you open your word to us this morning? Thank you so much for the privilege of being here and and being able to to worship and, and hear you speak through your word. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, there are some questions that that scholars have about this passage. So as I was studying this last week, um, I came across a a few of them. First of all is is the the question of whether or not this is a call from Hosea himself to the people. So is this Hosea looking at the people of God and saying, uh, you've turned away, you've seen me live out in my life the way that you've turned away from God. Now, Now I'm calling you to let us return. Let's, let's return to the Lord. Stop chasing after other things. Or is, is this um, God's 
people themselves kind of collectively saying, come, let us return. And the answer to that question is very simple. We don't know. We, we, we simply don't know. Um, God's case is laid out in, in chapters 4 and 5 against them. We'll look at some of that in a minute. We looked at that last week. Um, God's, God's case, kind of where he's in a courtroom laying out the, the case that his people have turned away from him and, and that punishment's coming. Uh, but we, we simply don't know if this is Hosea speaking to the people or the people kind of coming to their senses and saying, hey, let's, let's wake up and return to the Lord. Second question is this. Do these verses express genuine repentance on the part of the people or are they simply going through the motions of repentance without a real heart change? And here's a very important answer to that question as well. We don't know. I read, I read some commentators who came down on both sides saying that this is, these verses are not real repentance. This is just kind of the people going through the motions and, and then they, they continue to sin against the Lord. They're just trying to appease the Lord here by saying and doing all the right things for a time and then they, they turn away. Uh, but, but the simple fact is we, we don't really know either way. Um, I'm going to come down on the side of the, the argument that these verses are the words of Hosea calling the people to repentance. But, but the, the answer to the second question is, how did the people of Israel respond? Did they, did they respond with genuine repentance, or was it just kind of a surface level turning away so, so we escape punishment? I'm sorry I got caught. Please don't punish me. Uh, those kind of things. But, but see, the important thing for us is not how did Israel respond. The, the question for us is, how will we respond to the call to repent? Will we return to the Lord? And so this morning, I want us to look at three things that happen when we return to the Lord. The first one is, is this, and we see it in verse 1, and that is that we are restored. When, when we return to the Lord, as God's people, we are restored. Now, let me say from the very beginning, this passage is written to Israel, the people of God. So, so for us looking at this through the New Testament then, we see this being written primarily to believers, it doesn't say it has nothing to say to non-believers, and we'll get there as well, but, but it's primarily written to the people of God. So in New Testament times, that's those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ. Know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are in Christ. We're saved in Christ. And these verses then are for us, not to repent for salvation, but to repent for, uh, so that we might be sanctified, continually molded into the image of Christ. Now, in verse 1, it says, come, let us return to the Lord. Now, if we stop there, that sounds like a wonderful, glorious invitation, right? But, but look at where else he goes here. For he has torn us, and he will heal us. He has wounded us, and he will bind up our wounds. Now, now hang on just a second. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying, let us return to the Lord, for he tore us, and he wounded us. Now, from a New Testament perspective, we might say, hold up. What are we talking about the Lord tearing them and the Lord wounding them? Well, go back to chapter 5, uh, verse 14. This is the people rebelling against God, and this is how God responds. He says, For I am like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. Yes, I will tear them to pieces and depart. I will carry them off, and no one can rescue them. 
See, God told the people that unless they repented and returned, he would not be their friend. In fact, he would be fighting against them and tear them apart like a lion. Now, now, now hang on. That doesn't sound too positive, right? Like, I'm supposed to come to church and feel good. Like, what do you, what do you mean God's going to tear me apart like a lion? <laughs> See, thankfully, that's not the end of it, right? Because we have chapter 6. The call is, come let us return. So what do we have happening in chapter 5? Where, where he's torn us. He's going he's gonna to tear us apart. Why on earth would the Lord wound them to begin with? Um, so, so let me shift gears here for just a second. And, and let, me, let me ask a, a second question that I think will help us clarify the first one. Um, why do we discipline our kids? Do, is it because we want to harm them? No, it's to, to correct them out, out of love. We, we want to correct them. We want to stop um, behaviors that are potentially destructive in their lives. We aren't trying to hide some secret happiness when they touch the, the hot stovetop, right? Like, it's not, there's not a secret treat up there that we don't want you to get. No, we don't want you to burn yourself. And so, yeah, sometimes when, when the kids are reaching for the hot stovetop, we'll, we'll smack their hand. And it hurts. We, we, we wound them in order to keep them from being hurt further. And so the same is true with the Lord. It's true that, that there's, if it's true that there's no other God and no other name under heaven by which man can be saved, as, as Acts 4.12 tells us, then he knows that chasing after false gods will eventually lead his people to destruction. So he wants to get the attention of his people, get this, whom he loves far too much to let them harm themselves. So they might turn back to him, the only place where there's light and life. So 1 John 1, 9. We, we looked at this uh, extensively as we walked through 1 John over the course of six months or so. Uh, it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a promise we have from the Lord, right? If we confess and repent, he will forgive us. And also, keep in mind, John's writing this to believers. So, so while these verses are certainly true for those who are placing their faith in Christ and moving from death to life, that's not primarily whom they're addressing. John's writing to believers who've turned away from Christ. That's why we say that for someone to come to faith in Christ, you, you must turn from sin and trust in Christ. However, if you're a believer who, just like the prodigal son or, or the children of Israel, have fallen away from Christ, your response is also to turn from sin and trust in Christ. Even if you're a believer who's never heard or who's never had that prodigal experience, do, do, do you know what real faith looks like? Do, do you know what the life of faith looks like in, for a believer? It's not perfection. It's a pattern of turning from sin and trusting in Christ. And here, here's the thing about, about sin, even in the life of a believer, and, and if you've been a believer for more than about five minutes, I think you're going to agree with this and understand it. Um, sin will creep up more often and in more places than you ever could have imagined. And so what do we do? We keep turning from sin, we keep trusting in Christ. Now, now really quickly, let, let's talk about the, the difference between God's judgment on sin and consequences for actions. 
Okay, because when we say that we are restored, which is absolutely true, sometimes I think we get into our mind, well, I've repented of that sin, and God has forgiven it, therefore I shouldn't have to live with the consequences of it anymore. Uh, so Romans 8.1, right? Uh, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That is right and good, and you should memorize that verse. Because Satan will come against you trying to condemn you. That's a really good one to have in your back pocket and be able to say, no, no, no. In, in, in Christ, there is no condemnation. However, listen here, okay. Just because the final judgment for sin was taken care of in Christ Jesus does not mean that we're immune from the consequences of our actions. Case in point, if you're caught doing 95 in a 55 mile per hour zone, okay, I haven't been reading your mail. Don't point fingers. Okay, I'm just saying if, hypothetically, if you're caught doing 95 in a 55, the fact that you're a child of God, freely loved and forgiven by him, does not mean that you don't get a ticket. And here's the thing. If you do that and you get a ticket and it's $500, God is not punishing you by giving you a ticket. You are not being persecuted. Our consequences still, our actions still have consequences. We're restored in our relationship with Christ, yes, but we still experience consequences for our actions. See, if you cheat on your spouse, even as a believer, the consequences might lead to the destruction of your family. Does that mean you're out of the kingdom of God? No. Does it, mind, does it mean you might be out of your own house? Yes. Good, I'm not seeing anybody going. But why? Why do we still experience consequences? Here's, here's what I think. Here, here, this is what I really see in, in Scripture. God is too holy, and he loves you too much to let you get away with sin. See, sin's a big deal to God. As we're going to celebrate next week, it cost him the life of his only son. So how dare we treat sin as no big deal? when it cost Christ Jesus his life on this earth. Uh, if you're familiar with the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Good. I love it when I make cultural references and, and you get like this sense of good. Um, fantastic movie. It's, it's based on the Odyssey, but from like a hillbilly perspective. Okay? Uh, if you've never seen it, just you have to watch it to understand. It centers around this guy named Ulysses S. McGill, who is played by uh, George Clooney. And he escapes, in the beginning of the movie, he escapes from prison, uh, and he's chained to two other prisoners, Pete and Delmer. Now, shortly after they escape from prison, Pete and Delmer are saved and baptized by a preacher in a muddy river. They just come up on this group of people being baptized, and Pete and Delmer rush off to, to get baptized and, and saved. And afterward, they're, they're talking about their past lives and some of the crimes they committed, like robbing banks. So Pete fesses up to some bank that he knocked over, and he says, I, I, I confess that, and the preacher said that's forgiven. And Ulysses looks at him and says, now, now, Pete, I thought you said you didn't do that. And Pete goes, well, I was lying. And the preacher says, that's forgiven too. <laughs> and Ulysses says this, and I think this, this kind of illustrates what we're talking about. He says, well, that might set you right with the Lord, 
but the state of Mississippi is a bit more hard-nosed. <laughs> See, their sins were forgiven by the Lord, but that didn't mean they got off scot-free for all the crimes they had committed. But get this, so, so when we return to the Lord, that there might be some stuff in your past that still has consequences. But when we return to the Lord and we confess, one of the main things that's restored to us is the joy of our salvation. In fact, in Psalm 51, 12, this is what David prayed. As he's asking the Lord to be restored after he committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed to cover it up. All right, those are like two of the biggies, right? I mean, that's like, that's like 20% of the Ten Commandments right there together. Don't commit adultery, don't commit murder, and David just did both of them. And he experiences consequences for that. His, his house becomes a train wreck. He loses a child that was born out of, out of adultery. The child dies. And yet David repents, and, and he prays this. Restore the joy of your salvation to me, and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. He doesn't hold anything back. Lord, Lord I know I've, I've sinned. I know I messed up. Create in me a clean heart and restore to me the joy of your salvation. When we come to faith in Christ, we are restored. You can be made whole. That doesn't mean that, that, that your past is never going to come back to haunt you. Your past is never going to catch up with you. But when it does, let that be a reminder of who you were and not who you are now. A reminder of the old person that the Bible says doesn't exist anymore. And when you became a follower of Christ, you're a new creation. So what do we do when, when this happens as followers of Christ? Because as I've said, we are not immune to sin. Let that be a reminder that God is not done working on you yet. As we said, the, the life of faith is not marked by perfection but marked by a pattern of turning from sin and trusting in Christ. So when you still wrestle with sin, when you still wrestle with temptation, let it be a reminder that God is still shaping and molding you into the image of Christ. That's a process that's not going to be completed in this life. But I can look more like him tomorrow than I do today. Maybe I'm not where I want to be. Maybe I'm not where God wishes I was at this point in my life. But praise God, I'm not who I was. And hallelujah, one day I will be there. All right, so that's the first thing. We're, we're restored when we repent. Second of all, we are revived. All right, so look with me at verse 2. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Now again, there's some questions here, and primarily these questions center around, well, wait, is this an explicit reference to Christ? Written several hundred years before Christ came along. Is this, a, is this an explicit reference? Because it says, I'm going to raise him up on the third day. So you'll come across some commentators, maybe some notes in your study Bible that say this is a clear reference to Christ whom he'll raise up on the third day. The, the problem with that is that we have several places in the New Testament that reference scriptures from the Old Testament uh, to refer to Christ's resurrection on the third day, and, and this isn't one of them. So Jesus himself looks back at Jonah and says, uh, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish 
Three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the earth three days and three nights. He never talks about this here. And so while we certainly look back at the Old Testament through uh, the lens of the New Testament, or we put on New Testament glasses to, to read the Old Testament, we never want uh, to try to force something on the Old Testament text that, that isn't there. And so um, I, I, just as, as I teach you how to read the, the Old Testament to, to a point, never, never just assume that something is automatically referring to Christ unless it's, uh, unless it's clearly laid out later on in the, the New Testament. So, so is it? Maybe. But I don't think we can make that reference without forcing something on here that, that the text doesn't give us. Um, however, what we do see is that we are revived when we return to the Lord. Now, obviously, we know this is true uh, when we come to faith in Christ for the first time, right? So Ephesians 2.1 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then a few verses later, down in Ephesians 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though you were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. You were dead in Christ you've been made alive. And yet, even as believers, there's a spirit of revival that comes to us when we return to the Lord in repentance. Our spirit's revived. Our hope in the Lord is revived. This is how Peter puts it, 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, Peter's writing to believers, and what does he say? He's given, us, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. See, if you're, if you're feeling kind of stagnant in, in your walk with Christ, feeling like you've kind of just hit a, hit a dead spot, man, the, the first thing I would counsel you to do is check your heart. Pray the same thing that David prayed. Search me, O Lord. See if there's any offensive way in me. And then, then repent. It's amazing what repenting of sins does for you as, in, the, in the life of you as a believer. When we come in, again, when we come into Christ's presence. Here's the last thing. When we repent, we are renewed. We see this in verse 3. Let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. Uh, if your allergies are not acting up yet, let me assure you, things are starting to come to life again around here. Uh, my family, boy, we're all, we're all messing with it. So, you know, I mean, we, like we've got those sneezes that last for like five minutes, right? And, and it's a, that's a sign that things are starting to, to come back to life. We see that every spring. Things that look like they were dead are, are springing to life again. And he says, this is what happens in our lives. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. And so what does he call us to do? Imagine this. Look, look at this, verse 3. Let us strive to know the Lord. 
Now he's talking to people who know the Lord, right? He's talking to the children of Israel. God's chosen people of all the nations in the world, he chose Israel to, to be his people, to lead them out of slavery in Egypt, to lead them into the promised land. If anyone knows the Lord on the face of the planet, surely it's the children of Israel. And yet the call that Hosea has on them is let us strive to know the Lord. As we talked about when you see that word know, particularly in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word for know doesn't just simply mean head knowledge, to have knowledge about God. It's an intimate knowledge of who God is. It's the, it's the same term that uh, Henry Blackaby used to develop experiencing God. See, when, they, when, when he was first approached about uh, creating that program, the publishing company wanted him to call it Knowing God. And he said, absolutely not. Because what will happen is people will think it's a head knowledge thing. I want people to experience who God is. And there, thereby fulfill the true meaning of the term know in the Old Testament. So, so Hosea is calling the people not just to turn from sin, but to turn to the Lord. Let us strive to know him. Man, what a calling, even for us. So let me just ask, are, are you striving to know the Lord? Is that a desire of your heart? Do you, not just to spend time around him, but to actually spend time with him. Not just to know him, know about him, but to experience him. Well, how do I do that? It's quite simple. You spend time reading his words to us, which is the Bible. You spend time talking and listening to him in prayer. And then you, you hang around people who are doing the same, which is the local church. In the book of Lamentations, which, which is given its name for a purpose, by the way. It's not overall a real happy book. It's, you read it, it's kind of depressing. It might even cause you to lament, right? That's, that's, that's what it is. And yet here we have one of these verses that's probably so well known. And you probably thought it was from Psalms. Because it sounds like that, but it's not. It's from Lamentations. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness comes out of lamentations. So how is it that we can never tire of spending time with the Lord? It's because his mercies are new every day. See, that means there's always more to him that we can know. You will never exhaust the well of the riches of the mercies of God. And you will never, this side of heaven, know all there is to know about the Bible. You will never come to know all there is of God. There's always more to him. There's always more in here for you to discover. In Romans 12... Well, let me back up. In Romans 1 through 11, Paul lays out the great mercy of God for us. For 11 chapters, he, he goes on and on, laying out the gospel, laying out who God is, laying out who we are, laying out the greatness of our sin and the greatness of the mercy of God. And then in chapter 12, he, he gets here and, and he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... 
in view of the mercies of God, in view of all that stuff I just talked to you about for 11 chapters, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When we repent, when we, when we return to the Lord, He says we'll be renewed. Our minds will be renewed. Not so that we can look like the world around us, but so that we can look starkly different from the world around us as people who are following after Christ. See, the more you know of who God is, the more you'll want to know Him. And the more you experience His grace and mercy, the more you'll want to experience His grace and mercy. And the more you'll want others to experience it as well. So in Luke 15, the prodigal son comes to his senses. And he thinks to himself, what on earth am I doing? Why am I spending time taking care of pigs and just wishing I could eat what they're eating when I can go back and beg my father? Just, just make me like one of your servants. So he gets up, heads back home, practicing this speech all the way home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Just, just make me like one of your servants. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Just make me like one of your servants. The Bible says that the father saw the son from far off and ran to him. If you know anything about the Eastern culture in that day, grown men didn't run. It was considered undignified to run. In that moment, the father could care less about any of the social customs. He sees his son and he runs. He gets to him. And the, father go, or the son goes into his spiel. Father, I've sinned against heaven. And the father says, no, stop. You're home. You've come back to me. Goes back home and he throws a party. Kills the best calf they've got. Serve barbecue for everybody. See, oftentimes I think we're afraid to return to the Lord because we're afraid he's going to be sitting on the front porch with his arms crossed, looking at his watch, saying, well, it's about time you wandered back. Or call him up on the phone and he says, what do you want? Not realizing that when we return to the Lord, he comes running after us. Now, we know that the children of Israel's repentance didn't last. In fact, in uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, we're told this. It says, what am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What am I going to do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist and like the early dew that vanishes. This is why I've used the prophets to cut them down. I've killed them with the words from my mouth. My judgment strikes like lightning. For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. See, the children of Israel were kind of fickle in their 
in their own relationship with God. But by the way, maybe not like us, not, not unlike us. I think the, the children of Israel would understand well the, the words of that great hymn, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, when it, when it says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Maybe you understand those words as well. Yes, we are easily led astray. We are easily distracted. So how do we respond to this call to repent? Ecclesiastes 5, I think, gives us part of the answer. Guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord, or the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. What does this have to do with returning to the Lord? It tells us to come and linger in his presence. So this morning, take a few moments. Ask him to search your heart. Let your words be few. What if this morning we take just a few moments not, not to speak, but just to listen to the Lord? Just simply ask Him to reveal some areas of our life that we need to repent of. Some things in our lives we need to give up and, and return to Him. So, so here's what I want us to do. I don't even want us to sing this morning. We're just gonna, I'm going to ask the owner to play, and, and she's going to play, and, and we're just going to take some time and reflect. So maybe this morning the, the Lord's calling you to, to move from being an attender to being a member here at FBC. He's saying that, that these folks here are, are the folks that you want to pursue Christ with. If that's the case, I... I, I Love to visit with you here in just a moment. Maybe this morning you are a believer, but, but you've never taken that initial step of obedience, which the Bible tells us is baptism. And you say, I need, I need to make that right. I need, to, I need to get that first step of obedience right. So my, my call to you would be return to the Lord. Come, come to him. Obey him. Do what he said to do. Maybe you're here and you, you, you'd say, I'm not even, I, I know I've not responded to God's initial call to turn from sin and to trust in Christ. I've not asked Christ to be my Savior, to forgive my sins. So if that's you today and you want to say yes to that offer, that free gift of salvation, pray and ask God to forgive your sins through Christ's sacrifice on the cross on your behalf. Let him move you from death to life. I'd love to pray with you about that, show you how you can do that. Maybe this morning you just need to Allow the Lord to search your heart. Ask him to reveal sin in your life. And then repent of it when he does. Respond to him this morning. Don't, don't walk out these doors without having done business with God. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come into your presence. For the invitation that you give to us to, to turn from sin and trust in Christ for the first time and be moved from death to life and, and salvation. But I also thank you for the invitation that you give to us this morning for those of us who are believers to simply turn around. So I pray you would shine the light of your righteousness on our hearts this morning. You would reveal the blackness of sin that's still there. And when you do, we'd confess and repent. You'd restore to us the joy of our salvation, just like David prayed. Move in and through us these next few moments. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.